0: Dave, blessed be the name of the Lord. Hallelujah. Turn with me to Luke 24, please. Luke 24. <clears throat> Beginning to read at verse 13. And behold, two of them went that same day into a village called Emmaus, which is from Jerusalem, about three score furlongs, and they talked together of all these things which had happened. It came to pass that while they communed together and reasoned, Jesus himself drew near and went with them, but their eyes were holding that they should not know him. He said unto them, What manner of communications are these that you have one to another as you walk and are sad? And one of them, whose name was Cleophas, answering, said unto him, Art thou only a stranger in Jerusalem, and hast not known the things which are come to pass there in these days? And he said unto him, What things? And they said unto him concerning Jesus of Nazareth, which was a prophet, mighty indeed in deed and word, before God and all the people, and how the chief priests and our rulers delivered him to be condemned to death and have crucified him. But we had trusted that it had been he that should have redeemed Israel. And beside all this, today is the third day since these things were done. Yea, And certain women also of our company made us astonished, which were early at the sepulchre. And when they had found not his body, they came, saying that they had also seen a vision of angels, which said that he was alive and certain of them which were with us went to the sepulchre and found it even so as the woman had said, but him they saw not. Then he said unto them, O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken, ought not Christ to have suffered these things and to enter into his glory, and beginning that Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself." And they drew nigh unto the village whither they went, and he made as though he would have gone further, but they constrained him, saying, Abide with us, for it is toward evening the day is far spent, and he went in to tarry with them. And it came to pass as he sat at meet with them he took bread and blessed it and break and gave to them. And their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and he vanished out of their sight. And they said one to another, Did not our heart burn within us when he talked? With us by the way, and while he opened to us the scriptures, and they rose up the same hour and returned to Jerusalem and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with them, saying, The Lord is risen indeed and hath appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them in breaking of bread. Let's pray, Father. Thank you for everyone gathered in this place. Thank you, Father, for everyone. You've put the desire to come back out tonight into their hearts. And, Father, to hear your word and to worship you. Thank you for the sense of your Holy Spirit. Thank you, Lord, that we have been able to sing praises unto you. Thank you for your admonition toward us, Lord, to not just speak and sing with our mouths, but from our hearts. And we ask you, Father, now that you would settle us in your presence. And Lord, in my own inabilities, in my own frailty, I bring it to you and ask you, Father, to anoint me with your power, to anoint me with your spirit afresh. And Lord, that we would, Lord, leave this place saying it was good for us to be here. For sure, surely it was here that we met with the Lord. Bring all things to my remembrance and glorify your Son. For Jesus' name's sake we ask it. Amen. The two on the road to Emmaus can't go fully into it again because we have done a full week last week. But in the story we have where two we know, one is called Cleopas. Some say it was his wife. Others say it was Luke himself. Uh, but we, we're not told, so we'll leave that to the side. But as the two are going, from Jerusalem to Emmaus is around seven miles. That's hence the title, the seven-mile study and the seven-mile sprint. It's approximately around a seven-mile walk or journey. And we looked at how the same morning, or that same day, as it were, we're told that the two left Jerusalem the same morning when there was an open tomb, the same morning that the stone had been rolled away, the same morning when there was a great witness and a report that the women had brought to the disciples and the disciples being Peter and John namely who ran to the tomb came back with another report saying they hadn't seen Christ but yes that he was missing from the tomb it's the same day uh, that there was an angelic visitation and the same day this great appearance had happened and very earth would shake at the very landing as it were of these two or appearing of these two Uh, heavenly beings we're told that that same day they left Jerusalem and they made their way to Emmaus now take note of that they made their way to Emmaus on the same day when God is moving on the same day when there was resurrection power note that on the same day when Christ was raised from the dead because of what they saw because of what they thought because of what they believed in their mind and their heart, that same day, the carnality of their thinking caused them to move toward Emmaus. Not only did it cause them to move toward Emmaus, but what they saw, believed, followed, acted upon, and were led by was a negative view of things that they heard and what they saw around them. Not only did it cause them to move to Emmaus, but it caused them to be down in heart. They're talking about these things as they're walking along the road and a figure comes alongside. He's withholding from their view. They don't recognize him. And we know with a story, the narrative, that it's the Lord Jesus Christ himself, risen from the dead. And we try to wonder, why would someone leave a place of blessing to go to a place of nothing? I don't understand it, but you tend to find that even in churches or even in assemblies that when God starts really breaking out, and when God starts to really do things, he challenges our thinking. He challenges our belief. He challenges you through the word of God. He challenges us because of our mindsets and the frame of mind that we've come to know, because surely God does not operate in the way that we have been taught by tradition. But this time, God had sent angelic beings, had risen Christ from the dead through his spirit, and because Christ was no longer there, these two became down in heart. In fact, we're told, when Jesus himself drew near, we're told, as he looked at their face, they were sad. In other words, they were down. They were despondent. They wondered what was going on. They were feeling left to uh, the, the devices of the Roman Empire. And as they're walking along, they're trying to get out of Jerusalem for surely, surely the Romans would come or even the Jews would come and slay those who trusted in Messiah. Of course, the Jews would deny that he was Messiah. So that would be instant death for all who would claim that Christ is Lord. Not only by the Jews, but also By the Romans, because the Romans believed that Caesar was God. They called him Pontifax Maximus. They called him the bridge builder between God and man. And here we have two escaping Jerusalem toward Emmaus. Christ comes along and he gives them his critique. First of all, he asks them what was wrong. And in verse 15, their conclusion from their clueless carnal mind is, is this but we trusted that it had been he which should have redeemed Israel know what they said we put our trust in him and now the last we heard of him his body may have been stolen but the last they heard was that Jesus was alive but in their minds he's either been stolen or there's trickery or something is wrong Christ has failed them And let them down. Many times as Christians, you and I could easily let our minds slip into carnality and the things that are happening in our lives, our homes, our families, wherever we are, even in our bodies, and we we wonder where you are, Lord, has Christ let me down? Yet the Word of God tells us of resurrection power that lives in every believer, everyone who's trusting and redeemed with precious blood through the Lord Jesus Christ, for as the Spirit that raised Christ from the dead dwells in you. And so we look at the surrounding evidence with our 2020 vision, and we tend to miss Him with the eye of the Spirit. Here they did the same again. He's walking with them, He's talking to them, and they miss Him all over again. Their conclusion was, but we trusted it. It should have been he which should have redeemed Israel. He was crucified like a criminal. He was mocked. He let us down because he was crucified. He was taken down, bloodied, battered, and beaten, and placed in a tomb. A stone was rolled upon it, and now his body isn't even there. The grave has been desecrated by someone. And look, what sort of Redeemer is this? What sort of Savior could he have been? What sort of a man to put your trust in that this man could let you down so easily and so readily? And these two, their hearts are in their boots, as it were, and on their way to a mess. Now, notice Christ's critique. All fools. And slow of heart to believe the idea is, oh, your hearts have become dumbed. your hearts have become dumbed, in other words there 's a wet blanket as it were thrown over your faith. Your heart can no longer receive the Word to cause you to ignite and fire again your heart has been overcome by circumstances your heart has been overcome by the things which you've heard your heart has been overcome by the 2020 earthly carnal vision that you have and even last week we showed you Romans 8 and 6 says to be carnally minded is death but to be spiritually minded is life and peace here they're marching they're walking steadily progressing into declension into death praise God life comes in the person of Christ to meet them on the road to Emmaus. Notice what he says: "O fools and slow of heart to believe all that the prophets have spoken." Now, take note of that: "O fools and slow of heart to believe." Notice all that the prophets have spoken. In verse twenty-seven, it says, "I'm beginning at Moses and all the prophets; he expounded unto them." And notice all the scriptures the things concerning himself. Now I want you to really drink this in this evening. Believing all the prophets have spoken, beginning at Moses and all the prophets, he expounded unto them in all the scriptures the things concerning himself. If you will let your eye run down the chapter even to verses 44. And this is when Christ appears unto them all in that room which they're shut in and case the Jews were to kill them for fear of the Jews. Verse 44, the resurrected risen Lord appears unto them again and he said unto them, these are the words which I speak unto you while I was yet with you, that all things, notice, must be fulfilled. Notice what he says, all things. Again, it's all things must be fulfilled which were spoken in the law of Moses and in the prophets and in the Psalms concerning me. And notice verse 45, Then opened he their understanding that they might understand, notice the Scriptures, that they would understand the Scriptures. Now, when we go to the Scriptures here at this point in time, the Scriptures is the Old Testament. The Scriptures are the prophets and Moses, the Torah, that you would understand the teaching of the Scriptures. There was no New Testament. It was being played out in history. It was being fulfilled and brought to pass and culminated in Christ. Now, notice what it says, all the prophets, all the Scriptures, in verse 27. In verse 25, the problem was this. The two on the road to, to mess, they had confined their Bible reading, as it were, They had confined their Bible believing to the promises in Scripture in respect to Messiah's glory and kingdom. In other words, they loved to hear of the glorious kingdom of Messiah. Messiah. And who doesn't? They loved to hear of the future events that were to happen and what would happen when Christ would set that kingdom up. And who doesn't like to hear that? And they were relishing it. They were loving all of it. And we do also. But herein is the problem. They were to, in respect the Messiah's glory and kingdom, it's as though their Bible believing had stopped there. But they had been blinded, as it were, to the numerous and the multitudinous of the types and the foreshadowings and the prophecies and the foretellings of the suffering and atoning Savior. In other words, they had put aside or they couldn't grasp, or they didn't understand, or they even maybe did not want to know all the Scriptures concerning the cross of Christ. The Risen Savior gives them a Bible study declaring the inspired Scripture as the supreme authority as to faith and doctrine. And the central theme of Christ's suffering and glories was displayed before them on the seven mile study of God's word. His suffering as sin bearer and his glory as their sin purger. I want to look for a few moments at the Bible study. A little snippet. I couldn't give a Bible study like he gave. But what did he, what did he mean all the scriptures of all the prophets? Let's look at a few of them. And maybe if you want, you can quickly turn to them. If you if you can't turn to them quick enough, then I'll read them out and you can jot them down and listen to them and read them when you go home this evening or tomorrow. First of all, I'm sure he brought out Genesis chapter 3 and verse 15. After Adam had sinned in the garden, and when Adam sinned in the garden, and they had hid themselves, Adam and Eve, and the Lord came in the cool of the day and called Adam out on his sin, And the old serpent, the devil, was therein. And and after that, the Lord pronounces curses upon the earth and curses for a woman in childbirth and also a curse for a man, the work and the sweat of his brow. And then he pronounces one on the serpent as well. Genesis 3 and 15, the Lord says, I will put enmity between thee and the woman, between thy seed and her seed. Notice, thy seed and her seed. It shall bruise thy head and thou shalt bruise his heel. This is the first prophetic utterance of the coming of Christ. And on the cross of Calvary, can you see Christ walking along with these two on the road to a mess and saying, do you see there in Genesis? Now I'm sure, I'm saying, do you see there? They didn't have a Bible in their hands. I'm sure they didn't have the big scrolls rolled up and over their shoulder on their back. This was the word of God incarnate putting out from the depths of his inner being all the word of God, spilling it out over them and displaying it in front of them. And all the anointing upon that word would cause these two to be illuminated unto God. Notice what he says. It says, It shall bruise thy head. In other words, when the seed of the woman comes, Ultimately, that is Christ. The seed of the woman through Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Israel, Judah. We'll show you in a minute. Right through to Christ himself. He says, it shall bruise thy head and thou shall bruise his heel. In other words, God is sovereign, high and lifted up, above all others, above all else, and above all things. He is untouchable by Satan. Satan is God's ape and nothing else. But here God says, when his son comes. When he walks as a man on the earth, the heel as it were of God, the flesh, the man Christ Jesus, will be nailed to the tree and Satan thinks he has him. He has bruised his heel but in doing so Christ would crush his head. Now you see Jesus saying, that's me here. Let me tell you about this. Utterance from Moses in Genesis. Genesis It wouldn't be 3.15, but that's for our reading. You understand that. Secondly, I'm sure he would show them that Messiah would be born in Bethlehem. Micah chapter 5 and verse 2. But thou, Bethlehem, Ephrathah, though thou be little among the thousands of Judah, yet out of thee shall come forth unto me. That is to be ruler in Israel whose goings forth have been of old from everlasting. Now, note that here. Something is coming forth, but yet something has always been. Something is coming forth, yet something has always been. In other words, Yahweh, Almighty God himself, he speaks to the place where Christ would be born, Bethlehem. Then he speaks of him coming forth. He says, listen, unto me. Unto the Father, He says He will come forth, and when you see Him, He'll be a man like unto yourself. But inside Him, He is the One who's going forth, have been from of old to everlasting, showing His deity and His divinity, showing Him as Almighty God, the Word made flesh, Son of God and Son of Man. Can you see that? Imagine. The Lord Jesus walking and talking about this Bible study to these two. And they're starting to be intrigued because he draws them in with it. We're told later that their hearts burn within them, in it. Here's another one. Messiah would come from the tribe of Judah. Genesis chapter forty nine and verse ten. The scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come and unto him shall the gathering of the people be. The scepter here speaks of kingship. The king had the rod, the scepter and when he was going to bless or you were accepted, the scepter was pointed toward one. And here the scepter means out of Judah will come kingship and the king's Will come the kingly line, will come from Judah, nor a lawgiver from between his feet. Listen until Shiloh come. The word Shiloh here is really representative of the Lord Jesus Himself, because unto Him shall the gathering of the people be. When we are gathered here together tonight, when we were gathered this morning, when we'll gather together through the week in his name, there he is in the midst of us. We are gathering onto the great Shiloh, our great king, the one whose scepter of blessing and acceptance is toward us. We're told in Genesis chapter 49 and verse 10, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor a lawgiver, from between his feet. Let me take in a little rabbit trail while we're here, just a little side light for you. We're told in First Chronicles chapter five, verses one and two. And if you want to turn to it briefly, we're only going to read a couple of verses of it. I want you to take note of this, for this is important also to help Bible prophecy. And this would take a night in itself, so we'll just mention something. Chronicle, First Chronicles chapter five, verse one. Now the sons of Reuben, the firstborn of Israel, for he was the firstborn, but for as much as he defined his father's bed, his birthright was given unto the sons of Joseph, the son of Israel. And the genealogy is not to be reckoned after the birthright. For Judah prevailed above his brethren, and of him came the chief ruler. Notice, the chief ruler from Judah. But the birthright was Joseph's. But the birthright was Joseph's. Now, hold on a second. When that is written in 1 Chronicles chapter 5, Joseph's dead. Joseph's dead and gone. There is no man, Joseph, anymore, but rather his sons, Ephraim and Manasseh, take on the birthright. Joseph here is, a, is a, a foretelling and a picture and a name for the northern kingdom of Israel who received the birthright blessing of Yahweh, the southern kingdom in Judah. They received the scepter, the rulership, and the kingship. So Joseph here. Joseph was actually a, a name for the, for the ten tribes in the north. So was Ephraim, so was Samaria, for that was their capital city, and so on. Here's another little sidelight for you. Whenever uh, a few weeks ago David Cameron stands up and proclaims England or Britain or the UK to be a Christian country and there was kick up and uh, there was a whole hoopla about it all over the place. Was it or was it not? It's an apostate backslidden Christian nation now. But if you go into even the very heraldry of Britain you'll find that there's Israelite heraldry in Britain and there's biblical history or or heraldry in Britain. For example, Joseph who receives the birthright, the, the very heraldry of Joseph is either a horned bull or a unicorn. A unicorn. And Judah is a lion. And when you look at the royal crest or when you look at government buildings or you look on the armies of the queen, and you look at the household cavalry, and you look at their crests everywhere, you see the lion, the rampant lion, and the unicorn. That is the house of Israel and the house of Judah. It is biblical right through the very heraldry of it. Right through to the word of God in which the laws were founded upon. So next time, young person, you see a band parade, and you see them going up there, they don't even know what they're wearing. Most of them have no idea on their drums or their uniforms, when they see the rampant lion and the unicorn, what that means and represents, it's the lion of the tribe of Judah, and it is the unicorn of the house of Israel. So you can educate someone the next time you go and speak to them. That's what it means and stands for. Here we have the Lord saying that in Genesis 49, the scepter shall not depart from Judah nor the lawgiver from between his feet until Shiloh come. Let me go briefly on. Do you know that even Moses said in Deuteronomy 18 and 15, The Lord thy God will raise up unto thee a prophet from the midst of thee, of him thy brethren, like unto me, unto him shall ye hearken. Moses was speaking again of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you see the Lord speaking about this and these people hearing the words of Moses that they've heard in maybe synagogues or they've heard at the temple or maybe they've heard in song and they're walking along and they're hearing it and this stranger who has come alongside is teaching them this for seven miles. Seven is the number of completion and perfection, by the way. Perfect Bible study from a perfect Savior from a perfect Lord. And here we're told that the Lord starts telling them all of these prophetic utterances. Another one is Messiah would be heir to the throne of David, this kingly lionship. to the throne of David. Isaiah chapter 9, verse 6, we read it at Christmas. It shouldn't really only be read at what we term as Christmas time. For unto us a child is born, and unto us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, the mighty God. Listen, the everlasting Father, the Prince of Peace. Verse 7 of Isaiah 9 says, Of the increase of his government and peace, there shall be no end upon the throne of David and upon his kingdom to order it, to establish it with judgment and justice from henceforth, even forever. Notice, the Lord's saying, here is the scripture that Isaiah has talked about. And these two in the road to Omas could say, but he was crucified. We heard of him. We saw him. He went into a tomb and he was dead. Now his body's gone. Their eyes are still veiled from him. Yet he keeps giving them the word of God which fortifies them and builds them up upon their most holy faith. And he starts to draw them closer to him until their eyes are unveiled. And they see the Christ of God. Zechariah 9. I'm sure he gave them this one, all the prophets, all the scriptures. Zechariah 9 and verse 9. Rejoice ye, O daughter of Zion. Shout, O daughter of Jerusalem. Behold, thy king cometh unto thee. He is just and having salvation. Lowly and riding upon an ass, upon a colt, the foal of an ass. We know in the last week of our Lord's ministry before his crucifixion in Luke chapter 24, or rather in the Gospels, pardon me, that's our reading, uh, that that our Lord comes riding into Jerusalem uh, uh, and He is known as his triumphant entry into Jerusalem when the people are proclaiming him as a king and they take down the palm leaves and they're waving them before him and they throw them in front of him, they take their garments and they straw along the road that his colt or donkey which goes along and is walking upon it and they're crying Hosanna Hosanna or save oh save it means in fact we're told that they're crying Hosanna Hosanna Baruch Abba B'Shem Adonai Baruch abba b'shem Adonai and I was save oh save blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord and the Lord says for out of Judah he shall come unto me that's what the scripture means and here is his king coming into Jerusalem. Notice the scripture even defines like Isaiah says in Isaiah 9 and 6 for unto us a child is born. Then he defines the sacks of the child. Unto us a son is given. And here he does the same through prophetic utterance. So there's no mistaking. Behold thy king cometh unto thee. He is just in having salvation lowly and riding upon an ass. Now that would have done but the Spirit of God knew exactly what this little animal would be. Upon a coat. The foal of an ass. It's a young coat. It's a young male ass. And Christ comes in with them shouting, Hosanna. Baruch haba b'shem Adonai. Blessed is he who cometh in the name of the Lord. Can you see him telling them this Bible study? And going over it and over it with them. It must have really been the it must have been the best Bible study in the whole world's history. Messiah, another one, would be seated at God's right hand. Psalm one oh one in verse one says the Lord, said unto my Lord, Sit thou my right hand till I make thine enemies thy footstool. And they're saying, Yes, the kingdom, the kingdom, yes, glory, glory, hallelujah, the king, but he's crucified. He's dead. He's crucified. How does that help us at a time like this? Well, I'm sure he would have brought them something like Daniel, the prophet from Daniel chapter 7, verses 13 and 14. Daniel writes in a vision, he says, And I saw night visions, and behold, one like the Son of Man came with the clouds of heaven, and came to the Ancient of Days, and they brought him near before him. In verse 14... And there was given him dominion and glory and a kingdom that all people, nations and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion which shall not pass away and his kingdom that which shall not be destroyed. In other words, we're speaking here of Daniel around 500 years before the coming of Christ. Speaking of him Coming to receive a kingdom, he left his glory. He died on the cross. He ascended from the grave. He rose from the grave. He ascended into heaven to receive Daniel 7's kingdom. And he's coming again with it in power and great glory. That's the idea. And Christ would be telling them about these wonderful scriptures. Now, these are amazing. They're brilliant. They're encouraging, they're fascinating, they're exciting, and they're compelling. So when Jesus died and was now buried, and it's three days later, even as it says in our reading, but it's three days now. And they're walking and they're talking, and as I said, they're sad. Their countenance says it all. What went wrong with them? I'll tell you. They cherry-picked the Word of God. They cherry-picked the Word of God. You know how many people want heaven but don't want the word don't want the cross don't want to know a life that has to be lived in acceptance of a savior do you know how many people want the glory but don't want the suffering of it and they had picked all the wonderful things that they had heard of the savior and now he is dead He went to the tomb and no longer is his body lying there. They heard not what they, they heard what they wanted to hear, not what they needed to hear. In other words, first of all, friend, if you want to enter the kingdom of God, John chapter 3 and verse 3, John chapter 3 and verse 5, John chapter 3 and verse 7 says you must be born again. You must come by the way of the cross. People say, Oh, heaven, such and such is the way to heaven. They were a good person. Your good personage will not see you to the kingdom of God. You must come by the way of the cross. This is what they heard in one instance. Luke chapter 18, please. And let your eye run down to verse 31. And he, the Lord Jesus, Took unto him the twelve and said unto them, Behold, we go up to Jerusalem, and all things that are written—notice all things that are written by the prophets—and concerning the Son of Man must be accomplished. For he shall be delivered unto the Gentiles and shall be mocked and spitefully entreated and spitted on, and they shall scourge him and put him to death, and the third day shall rise again. And they shall un- and they understood none of these things. And this saying was hid from them. Neither knew they the things which were spoken. Now here's the original 12. And these 12 then were told there was another 70 in other ways. And other disciples were being saved. Going to teach the word of God. Going to tell them of the glories of Christ. But what about the cross of Christ? What about telling people of the cross? Oh, I'm sure they're floating off. I'm sure they're watching down on you now. I'm sure they're not if they don't know Christ. We're told Jesus himself drew near and went with them. He gave them a seven-mile Bible study including the scriptures of his passion and his trial, his scourging, his crucifixion. He showed them the importance, the necessity, and the obligatory demands of justice met at the cross. No gory no glory. No cross, there be no Pentecost. No redemption without quelling of God's wrath, and no quelling of divine wrath without the shedding of blood. Not just any blood, but sinless blood, holy blood, spotless blood, precious blood. No righteousness. Without a ransom. No salvation without a sacrifice. No justification without judgment's arbitrator there. In other words, the arbitrator means one who came to look on to see if all was right and sufficient. And the Father's gaze was on the cross of Christ. And the Father, looking on the work of his beloved Son on the cross, and the shedding of his blood... We've seen that he not only saved us, he bought us and he redeemed us. And the Father accepted the work of his Son. The Father accepted the work of Christ. By this time, it's all glory, glory. The coming Messiah. I'm sure he opened the scriptures and starts showing them his death. Listen, this had to happen. Well, you couldn't be redeemed. I couldn't redeem Israel. Psalm 41 and verse 9 tells us Messiah's, Messiah would be betrayed. Yea, mine own familiar friend, in whom I trusted, was to eat of my bread, hath lifted up his heel against me. Speaking of Judas Iscariot betraying the Lord Jesus Christ. and also Talks of Messiah's mon- the money paid for Messiah would buy a potter's field. Prophesied in Zechariah chapter 11. Zechariah 11, verses 12 and 13. And I said unto them, If you think good, give me my price. And if not, forbear. So they weighed for my price thirty pieces of silver. Verse 13. And the Lord said unto me, Cast it unto the potter, a goodly price that I was prized priced at of them. And I took the 30 pieces of silver and cast them to the potter in the house of the Lord. Here Judas Iscariot sells our Lord for 30 pieces of silver, the price of a common slave. And he takes it in his greed and his lust. And after he sees what's happening, he goes back and he repents, as it were, to the priest, not unto Christ, unto the priest, And it was not even accepted of those men. And we're told he cast it for the price of a potter's field. That's where the broken pottery was laid. And that's where there were graves that were there of people who were unknown. And Judas met his end at the potter's field. Also, it would have shown them Messiah would be falsely accused. Psalm 35 and verse 11. False witnesses did rise up. They led to my charge things that I knew not. And of course, there were those who came and false witnesses came to break the commandments of the Lord. They who say would keep the commandments of the Lord, they broke the commandments by giving a false witness against here who it was, their neighbor. But Pilate says, I find no fault in him. And of course, led to his crucifixion. Messiah would be silent before his accusers. Isaiah 53 and verse 7. He was oppressed and he was afflicted, yet he opened not his mouth. He has brought as a lamb to the slaughter and as a sheep before his shears is dumb, so he opened not his mouth. And we know that the Lord Jesus did exactly the same. He who is the Lamb of God, who taketh away the sin of the world. Messiah would be spat upon and struck also across the face. Isaiah 50 and verse 6, I gave my back to the smiters, my cheeks to them, that I plucked off the hair. I hid not my face from shame and spitting. And even in Luke 18, he told them of this. This was prophetic utterance from 750 years previous. And he tells them of it. Now walking with the two in a row to a mess, he's speaking to them of these things that should have happened. He's saying, don't cherry pick the word of God, but take it in its full and in its entirety. There would be healthier navel and marrow to your bones. He would be crucified with criminals. Isaiah 53, verse 12. He hath poured out his soul unto death. He was numbered with the transgressors. And he bare the sins of many and made intercession for the transgressors. He would also be given vinegar to drink. Psalm 69 and verse 21. They gave me also gall for my meat and in my thirst they gave me vinegar to drink. And we know that the Roman soldiers had did this with Christ as he hung upon the cross. Messiah's feet would be pierced and his hands also. Psalm 22, known as the Psalm of the Cross, in verse 16, For dogs have encompassed me. The assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. They pierced my hands and my feet. In other words, in this time of David's prophetic utterance, this time there was known crucifixion by very few and they pierced the hands but never the feet. But here speaks of the piercing of the hands and of the feet. The Lord says, the for dogs have encompassed me, the Gentile dogs of Rome and the assembly of the wicked have enclosed me. That is those uh, wicked Pharisees and scribes and Jews who called for his death and stood around mocking him, saying, "Come down from the cross and save yourself." Messiah's bones would not be broken. Exodus twelve and verse forty-six speaks of the Passover lamb when Israel are coming out of Egypt and they're told that do not break the bones of a lamb. And of course, we're told um, neither shall ye break a bone thereof. Exodus twelve forty-six. Psalm 34 and verse 20. He keepeth all his bones. Not one of them is broken, says the psalmist. And when they came to make sure they were dead, they broke the legs of one criminal. They broke the legs of the second criminal. When they came to Christ, they break not his legs. Not a bone was broken because he had already died. Messiah would be forsaken of God. Psalm 22 and verse 1. My God, my God, Why hast thou forsaken me? We know Christ. He called us out from the cross. And he is fulfilling this word. People would ask, how can God forsake God? How is this mystery work? And no one understands how this mystery works. But this one thing I know. Not only is Christ God, but he's also man. Humanity crying out to deity. Flesh to the spirit. And we're told in Psalm 65 and verse 2. O thou that answers prayer, unto thee shall all flesh come. And Christ in his fullness of humanity cries unto his Father. These are wonderful scriptures and he's shown all of these to the two on the road to Emmaus. His side would be pierced. Zechariah 12 and verse 10. His side would be pierced. It says, They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. They shall look upon me whom they have pierced. And Messiah would be buried with the rich. Isaiah 53 and verse 9. He made his grave with the wicked and with the rich in his death, we're told. And Messiah would be resurrected from the dead. Psalm 16 and verse 10. For thou wilt not leave my soul in Sheol, or the grave, or hell as it is in the English here. Neither wilt thou suffer thine holy one to see corruption. Listen to what the two in a row Demet says. It's three days now, and his body isn't there. You see, around this time the belief was that after three days corruption set in on the fourth, Lazarus had died. And the Lord came and his sister ran out and says, Lord, if thou hadst been here, my brother would not have died. And he says, Take this stone away from the tomb. And, the, and his sister says unto him, But Lord, he's dead four days now and he stinketh. He's rotting. He's a corpse which is corrupt in the fourth day. But the tuner of the says, This is the third day and his body isn't there. You know why? he was fulfilling Psalm 16 and 10. Neither wilt thou suffer thine Holy One to see corruption. And he's standing resurrected with a seven-mile Bible study. That's the glorious Christ. That is the wonderful Savior, the beautiful Lord that we serve. Last one, I'll do this one. As part of his Bible study, he would have given them of all the law of all the scriptures and all the prophets, Messiah would be a sacrifice for sin. Turn with me, please, to Isaiah 53. Just briefly at verse 5. But he was wounded for our transgressions, and he was bruised for our iniquities. The chastisement of our peace was upon him. With his stripes, we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned one to his own way. And the Lord hath led in him the iniquity of us all here he is, the sin-bearer. So you can see this wonderful Bible study. That's a snippet, I'm sure, of what he gave them for seven miles along the road. We must learn, teach or preach, the whole counsel of God, and we must not cherry-pick those scriptures which suit us most, and leave the rest in the corridors of heaven as though they were never given to us for our profit, reproof, correction or instruction as Paul says in Second Timothy chapter three, verse sixteen. If they had, if we would, we would do well. We do better in our walk and in our belief and faith toward God are as given and full to us, as Paul says, in other words, that the man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished unto all good works. Look, We love singing about the kingdom. We love talking about the things of glory. People hear about it and people outside who have not yet come to saving faith in the Lord talk about heaven, heaven, heaven. Listen, folks, the Bible tells us if we don't know the cross, we'll never know heaven. If we don't know the scriptures of the cross, the Christ of the cross, the word of God and flesh nailed to the cross, the Lamb of God, then we'll never see the kingdom of God. During his life, Christ taught the word. Through his life, Christ displayed the word. The night of his arrest, he sang the word and they also prayed the word. During his trial and crucifixion, he quoted the word. And he trusted in the word. And after his resurrection, Christ spoke the word and preached the word. And yes, it is said that Christ went into death, Bible in hand, as it were. And he came out from among the dead, Bible in hand. And immediately prior to his death, and in the immediate moments after his resurrection, he made more, listen, more than 30 quotes of the inspired word of God. He is the Word incarnate and God's Word was in his heart and God's heart was in his Word for the Word was with God and the Word was God and is God. Hosea 4 and 6 gives us a perfect picture of the people of our society today and the church even. It gives a picture of the two in the road to mess. Hosea chapter 4 and verse 6 says, My people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Do you know why people are destroyed in their walk with Christ? Because they don't know the word of God. Simple. And when they feel that they've been failed, and when they feel he's let them down, and they're going through a trial, they're discouraged so much that they're sad, and then they go into that place of a mess. A place of despising. That's what it means. Despising. But if we know all the word, then you and I will do better in our walk with Him. In closing, thank you for your attention. This story has a wonderful and a beautiful, blessed, encouraging happening. It's a little golden nugget in the earthly heaviness and the gravitational weight of gloom which has come upon our two travellers. And all of us who are of like mind, if you're like mind, like them. Verse 15 says, And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. And Jesus himself drew near and went with them. Verse 16, But their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Their eyes were holding that they should not know him. Here's a question for us How close has Jesus been to us in a meeting? How close has Jesus been to us through trials and troubles and tribulations and in our temptations and he's remained unrecognized by us. Many times have we been conscious of Christ's presence as we have worshipped him in this place and many have been unconscious of him being here and Jesus himself drew near. How many of us are so conscious of our trial we're unconscious of him with us in his presence. These two in a row to mess were no different. Listen, Judas Iscariot came to the garden and he came into that gnarled olive tree garden of Gethsemane with a band of soldiers behind him. He walked up and he kissed Christ on the cheek. He got so close, he kissed the very door of heaven and he went to hell. I close. Can you be the Christ? How close can you be amidst him? Luke 19, the Lord Jesus was speaking to the Jews and rejected him. And when they rejected him, he prophesied of the destruction of the temple